Hmm. Luke, where are you? How odd. He's still not back. That's strange. Well, it looks like I might end up doing this one alone again. You find yourself lacking a co-host there, Benjamin? Ah! Oh! God, Lord. Oh! Sneaky bastard! <laughs> Don't oh. forget! I'm always here! I'm always ready! Oh! Terrifying! Oh! Uh, you know, I really need to close those doors. God damn it. <laughs> You've forgotten your keys? And I have them? And I'm here, and I'm ready. Hmm. There's a fine line between forgotten and stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in fine lines. If there are any lines, I cross them. We know how that works. <laughs> I guess. Right, well, hello and welcome to another episode of Grot and Guardsman. We are back to our regular episode structure again this week. I am your host, Benjamin the Grot, and joining me is... Tom! Your local and sometimes a little bit too friendly Slaneshi Courtist. It's uh, surprising and yet wonderful to have you back again. <laughs> That's what most people say about me. Indeed. <laughs> well, I'm sure Luke will be back soon enough. But in the meantime, it is still wonderful to have you here. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. So, as it's your first full episode, I know we had you on for a couple of our news announcements last week in Warhammer Fest. But seeing as this is our first full episode with you here, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself for those who missed them? Yeah, of course. So, hello everyone. I'm Tom. Um, I've been in the hobby for probably just over a year now, getting involved immediately with Slaneshi Demons as just something to do while the world was plunged into darkness for the past year that we've had. Um, and it wouldn't be amiss to say that that rapidly spiralled into an obsession, and then that rapidly <laughs> spiralled into an excess, and we've we've rolled with that. We've embraced that. How very Slaneshi of you! <laughs> ah, what can I say? She speaks to my heart and whispers in my ear, and it's hard to say no to that. But no, so I, I, my hobby experience is. I guess somewhat limited. It's it's rough to say it because I don't I don't like to admit it, but it's mainly in the sort of painting, building aspect, the raw hobby of it, rather than the gameplay of it, which is a shame. But I've thrown myself headfirst into all of that. Got significantly too many points of Slanesh lying around, followed by little bits of Space Marines, little bits of Chaos Space Marines, little bits of Tau. And it's it's been a good time, although almost all of my experience has been online. I've had a good time with it, and I'm excited now the world's opening up to get involved in some more physical, hand-to-hand Warhammer. Mm -hmm. And I think it is very important to sometimes have a beginner's perspective, at least in terms of gaming. It's sometimes useful, as you'll ask a lot of the questions that people will be thinking, and it's useful to have on the show. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to ask a bunch of very stupid questions. I'm I'm <laughs> on board with that. All questions are valid here. So, why don't we move on to our first topic for today? And we have a few news articles, not loads, as Warhammer Fest was quite recent, but we have a few things to talk about. So, our first news article that we will discuss this week is the 11th of May rumor engine. I mean, it's a lion or a bear or an animal. It's a thing. 
it's it's a creature attached to something, right? It's on an armor plate of some sort. Yeah, so there's a it looks like a skin. I'd say it's a lion skin. Maybe a tiger or bear or something like you say, but probably a lion. And like you say, an armor plate and some arrows. Or the the back end of some arrows poking in front of it. So I think with relative certainty, this is going to be Actually, a Sigma release. I think that's a Stormcast shoulder plate. I'm not certain, but it looks like it, especially in the new pattern. I think this will be some Stormcast archers, and this is the view from behind. So we've got the arrows poking out the quiver, going over his left shoulder, and there's a lion, <laughs> a skin of a lion on his shoulder pad or on his back. And that I think it's Stormcast archer. It's definitely something Sigma, isn't it? I think I think the patterns do lean to Stormcast. I kind of hope it's a vampire mm. with some animal pelts. We've seen in a lot of obviously the vampire stuff a lot of wolf imagery. They've been they've been funny that going on. So I want it to be a vampire, but I think you're probably right. I think it's some form of Sigma archer. We do know there's new Stormcast coming. We do. We saw some of them last week announced some very nice new Stormcast units. So this will probably be another addition to the Stormcast range. Yeah, I think probably coming along similar time with them. And it's always nice to have the variety. Give us a new archer. Give us a lion-themed archers. Let's see it. Everything we saw announced for the new Stormcast range was melee, so a ranged archer unit would fit the expectations. I think so. And I, th- I, like, the, I like the addition of the animal. It makes them stand out a bit in the, in the Stormcast range if they are Stormcast. It very much reminds me of the old sort of hunter range they had, where there were the guys wearing the the cloaks, the sort of animal skin cloaks, and they were so much very much of a hunter's vibe. There's the dude with the falcon, and they they had the crossbow pistols in that range and things. Yes, and they were very much a sort of hunty, sort of more animalistic element. This is probably going down that avenue again. I would think so. I would think this is going to be something very similar to that. That's pretty much all I have to say about this particular image, until we get the full model. Yeah, I think that's that's all we've got from it. There's not much else to be said. Yeah. So, we will look to our next news article, which is the reveal of some rules for the High Abbess Morgan Vale. Or Morgan Vale, I guess. I will read some of these rules out. Yeah, yeah go, go. So she's got an 80-inch move, hits on twos, shooting and in combat. She's strength and toughness five, has eight wounds, five attacks, leadership nine, and a two-up armor save in her Paragon Warsuit. She also has the following rules. The Purgator Mirabilis Warsuit, if I've pronounced that right. It's a four-up in one save, and each time it would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, on a four-up is not lost. So she has an invun that also works wow. for mortals, which is nasty. And she has the Holy Aegis rule, which is half the damage characteristic of attacks against her, rounding up, which is super nasty. She's absurd. Like, that, those two rules. Absolutely Yikes. disgusting. She's pretty immovable. She looks tough. I like it. We're absolutely not done either. There's loads more to come. There's, there's a lot. Her Lance of Illumination is Strength User, so Strength 5, minus 2, 1 damage. And this is the Sweeping Blow, sorry, I should have said. And you make 2 hit rolls instead of 1, so in that case you'll get 10 attacks. So that's for just sweeping a whole squad of Orcs or Tyrians or whatever in one go. And then her Lunging Strike is plus 3 Strength, so she'll be Strength 8, good for tank killing. Minus 3 and 3 damage, flat 3 damage. 
However, there's an ability on that one. Each time an attack is made with a weapon or an unmodified roll of six, the target suffers an additional mortal wound. So that's going to be great for just stabbing into tanks and things. You can fight anything. Hordes, tanks, mm-hmm. deck collectors, whatever she needs to fight, she can fight. Now, the missile launcher on her back, I mean, I'm not, I'll admit, I'm not that enamoured with the, the spear. It's, it's very good. It's not a letdown, but it's, not, it's nothing crazy. However, the missile launcher I'm liking more. It's, she's got two types of missiles she can fire from it. Either Sanctorum missiles, which are 36 range, heavy 2d6, strength 4, no AP1 damage, so it's a, a horde clear again. And she's also got the Prioris missiles, which is heavy 2, strength 8, minus 2, d6 damage. And while it's, it's a simple choice of a couple of anti-tank rockets or a bunch of anti-troop rockets, just that versatility is going to be amazing. She can do anything. There's never any limits to her capabilities. Whatever you put her down against, she's ready. Yeah, oh, absolutely. On the spear and the missile launcher, I honestly didn't think that would necessarily have anti-tank rockets, but she does. So Well, kitted out. She is absolutely, positively just kitted out to take anything that's thrown against mm-hmm. her. And she should be. She's, she's a high lord of terror. So she's terrifying alone, but she also has the following rules. <laughs> I'm still not done. We're just going to keep going. The Abbas Sanctorum aura is while friendly Adeptus Sorority Core unit is within six of the model. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, it can re-roll hit rolls of one and wound rolls of one. So she's a captain and lieutenant together in one model. You can just re-roll all of the ones, which is very, very good. Very strong indeed. That's going to be phenomenal. And also, in your command phase, select one friendly Adeptus core or Adeptus character unit within six. And until the start of your next command phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, you can reroll the hit roll and you can reroll the wound roll. So it's basically you can pick one unit that's not core, or I guess it's, it's a character or core. So it's not quite the same. You can't use tank, but, you know, that's still going to be very good. And it's reroll everything. So she could pick a super nasty character or unit and just re-roll the everything. These, these rules are getting dangerously excessive. There's, there's a lot happening here. There is so much happening there. I like the buff she's giving. I like that she is so motivational to the people around her. Once again, High Lord of Terror. You should feel good if you're seeing her well if you're fighting alongside her if you're fighting against her maybe not so much she's very big very strong i don't think she's quite on the very top tier in terms of fighting abilities she wouldn't maybe be able to go up against the highest tier of characters like mortarian or gazgul or Belcor. she's not that far off and in terms of her buff to re-roll all ones the units around her, that's absolute top tier. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal cool. buff. And she comes in the category of characters you can't target. You can't shoot her. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, of course. So she's going to have a phenomenal presence on the table. She's going to be an absolute fortress. She's going to be the that centerpiece that just holds everything together, makes everything twice as effective, and is terrifying as well in combat. I think we'll be seeing a lot of her. I think she looks really good. I think we will see her everywhere. And it's nice to get the stat information on her so quickly after she mm. was announced in Warhammer First. She was announced, what is it, like a week ago? So pretty recently. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so a week and a day. <laughs> Eight days ago she was announced. So it's, it's a pretty quick reveal of her stuff. We don't have her points yet, which is obviously a very relevant factor. 
if she's over or underpointed, then that will decide whether she's filled for definite. But even if she's pointed about right, I think she'll see a lot of use. She's very useful. I think so. I think I think she will be good. I like to imagine she'll be reasonably pointed. I, I mean, I imagine everybody does. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think she's going to... We're going to see a lot of her either way. She's just a very pretty model. Her rules look good. Really, you'd have to try quite hard to uh, to make her not fieldable. The thing about her that I think is the biggest factor that I wasn't quite expecting is her durability. She's just so unkillable compared to other characters and models and things. She just is a fortress. She really is a fortress. She's got that four-up invun and two-up save, but it's also going to move on to her half all damage and the fact she can't be targeted. Like, sure, there's there's lots of things that are like difficult to kill. Like, sure, Gazgul is difficult to kill, but you can shoot him at any time. Yeah. Sure, she's only got eight wounds compared to his 12, but like we say, half damage. That means functionally she's 16 wounds, depending how the rounding goes. Also, the ability to shrug off the uh, mortal wounds. Yeah. One of the, the biggest strategies for killing off some of these really durable characters is just to hit them with mortal wounds. And all of their amazing defenses are pretty useless, but no, she's also got that handle. So she will just be a nightmare. You won't be able to target her until she's super close, and then she's just going to never die. <laughs> yeah, you just stick her with a horde of sisters around her. She won't go down, and they will get some buffed-out damage. Mm-hmm. They'll, Yeah, they'll deal a lot of damage. She'll deal a lot of damage. And once you finally do get to her through those sisters, by killing them or going around or whatever... She's then just not going to die anyway. <laughs> so it's going to be yeah a fantastic model, both in terms of hobby and on the table. Should make a really big difference to sisters' armies and games and things. And I look forward to seeing that and playing against that. I'm excited to see her. I think I think she's going to be great. Definitely. So our final article is that there was an interview with the author of Godblight, Guy Haley. I guess what this is saying is that Godblight the Next novel in terms of the 40k current main storyline, the journeys of Gilliman. This is the next chapter of that story. It is. It's the finale. I think. I think it says in the article. It's. It's the end mm-hmm. of the Dark Imperium set of books. We're gonna watch Mortarion. We're gonna watch Gilliman slap each other around a bit. I think. I think it looks good. It. That's definitely a fight that I've been looking forward to. I'm sure a lot of people have been looking forward to seeing how that fight goes. It's the closest we're going to get to 30k and 40k, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Demon Mortarion versus the new resurrected Gilliman is going to be quite a spectacle. It's it's going to be a spectacle. And from what I've heard, most of the Dark Imperium books have been quite interesting, quite fun. And I don't see why the end one would be any different. Yeah, like you say, it's this string of books that we had starting at the beginning of 8th edition. And now it's great to see that sort of story arc have its biggest hour, its its big climax. It's a very interesting time, and it should be a good read. Good time to be a Nurgle fan, good time to be a fan of Gilliman. Mm-hmm. Whether you're an Ultramarine fanboy or a Nurgle fanboy, this is going to be a good, interesting read. Even if you're not a fanboy of either of them, it's probably still a good read. If you want to watch some Primarchs fight each other, that's always going to be a good time. Definitely a good setting. And, and even looking at this art work that they've got going on here, there's just a bit of art between some Ultramarines and Nuggle forces fighting in, in a hive city with all these explosions taking place everywhere and flying units buzzing around and a Mortarian swooping in at Gilliman. It looks amazing. It looks very entertaining and it will be a good read. Um, I'm sure it will. 
I'm sure it will. Absolutely. So I don't think there is a announcement for the date that's going to be coming out, but I'm sure we'll see it soon. Literally just says we'll be available for pre-order soon. So unfortunately, nothing concrete, but it, you know, it's getting there. It is. Hmm. Do you hear that? There's a there's a dripping somewhere. There's always a dripping here. I know there's conditions you live in. Hmm. That there, there must be a leak. Oh <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> what? There's, a there's leak. been a leak. <laughs> There's a leak. There's some rules for Gazgul in that puddle in the corner. Why are these rules so wet? Well, you know, leaks have their advantages and disadvantages, I guess. <laughs> so there we go. Yes, there's, there's, I have here a picture leaked of Gazgul's instruction booklet with his stat line and his weapon stat lines on here. Now, I'm not certain it's real. I'd hope so. It might just be a misprint or something that will never make it to the actual rule set, but it seems quite believable. So I thought I'd share that with everyone. Now, what we're looking at in terms of Gazgul's weapons is they're exactly the same. So his weapons will not change. However, his stat line does see some changes. And to summarize, rather than reading out every single number, basically Gazgul looks like he's no longer going to have a variable profile. He will no longer be bracketed and brought down depending on his number of wounds. What's more than that is that they've taken the best stat for these. His strength and movement used to be best when he was at his strongest, at his highest health, whereas his attacks got better as he was weakened. And while this is all good, the trouble was obviously once, once he had his big seven attacks, he was only strength five. But now they've put his stats to the best all the time, meaning he will always get seven strength seven attacks. And only, it won't be strength seven, will it? Because with his claw, it will be times two, so 14. But he'll, yeah, so he'll always be rocking loads of big heavy attacks, regardless, which I think he kind of needed. He's lots and lots of points. He didn't need any durability buffs or anything, but he's loads of points. And yeah, I think it's, it's definitely handy to just see that seven attacks be more consistent. It's, it's nice to get rid of that air of mysticism that chance element it's not random but you know the change stat line i always like a nice solid it's still yeah it does make him a little unreliable so one thing that i would also say that is that the just the number of attacks being a little bit higher is obviously horrific in terms of the fact he's throwing these massive gork claw four damage attacks at you and the kind of the reason i think he needed a few more was for when you just like throw a smaller squad at him if you throw a bunch of demonettes at him, he can't kill them all. Good, good, good to know. Or if you throw a bunch of other rocks or a bunch of guardsmen, he only has, even when he had his highest number of attacks, it was only seven. So he can only kill seven guardsmen. So if you just throw ten guardsmen at Gazgul, it ties him up. <laughs> it means, you know, he's got a retreat or whatever. And that means that it, he struggles with that. And arguably, that's always been a legitimate strategy to just tie up important things with low-value chaff units. But we're seeing more and more characters have super high like attack output options. Like, for example, the High yes. Abyss that we've just looked at. She has the option of making double the amount of attacks. And loads and loads of units now have it. And Gaskell doesn't. It looks like they're choosing to keep that the same, so he won't have that. But he just has seven attacks now, which is high. 
That is high. That's very high. It's a lot of attacks. It is, it really is a lot to be getting out. He's gonna he's gonna do some damage, and it is nice that now hordes will be slightly less good at just slowing him down. I'm not certain if in the addition you'll be able to use a weird boy spell to give him more attacks and things. But seven attacks at that kind of strength and damage is terrifying. He will eat things. I'm sure he will. I'm absolutely sure he will. Yeah, we're not we're not quite sure if these are. Definitely correct. And it also doesn't mention any of his abilities. We can't see those here. So, you know, we might see changes to the way that he can only lose so many wounds. We may see changes to his imbuns and things and his various other abilities, the way he combos with the rocks and goffs and things. But we don't know from this leak. That's just not shown at all here. It is only a leak. It's not a raging torrent of of water. We we don't know a lot, unfortunately. We don't we've not been given a lot to go off of. But it's nice to see bits. It's nice to get that bits of information. And I'm very much on the sort of the orc hype train right now. There's loads of really awesome orc stuff floating around with the, the big new orc line that we're now halfway through in terms of releases. And it's so exciting. There's so much around that I'm just over, overjoyed. And every time there's anything mentioned, even if it's just a leak like this, I'm very excited. So, yes, oh, absolutely. Good times. You should be. Everyone should be right now, whether you're an orc player or not. Ah, the orcs are exciting. Look at them, they're great. And it is nice to see some of the classic characters still getting bumped up to work with it. Absolutely, yeah. So, it looks like I might have to get my Gasgul built up and painted. The long process. So he can finally lead my orcs. It is a long process. Especially seeing as I am considering maybe changing a couple of things here and there. Maybe add some grots to his base or some squigs or something. That'd be interesting. <laughs> You're bringing him into alignment with the modern, with the with the beast snaggers and whatnot. All your little conversions are gonna gonna make him stand out on the field. I like it. I like it. I'm not too decided on what I'm going to do yet, but there's gonna be something spicy. I'm gonna spend a lot of time enough on him. And so you should. And so you should. And I mean, that's something we wanna we wanna talk about today is that little bit spicy, that little bit of just. A little bit of uniqueness you can you can sprinkle in on your army. Yeah, let's say excess that you can do. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> <laughs> make them make them just a little bit more of your own. Yeah, on that subject, our next talking point is all about conversions. It's something that we absolutely love to see. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a fun part of the hobby. It really is. Yeah. So I guess um before we really get into the nitty gritty, I'm gonna talk about what we mean when we talk about conversions and what we'll really be talking about for this next few minutes. And to start with, this can be something really small. It could be a simple case of, you know what, I'm not the biggest fan of this head, or I really like this other head, and you just do a simple head swap on a model. Or it could be a case of, oh, I like the body from this other kit, or this bit from this other kit, and I'll, uh, I'll chuck it in here. So it could just be a small piece swap or a kit bash, where you slam two kits together and see what glorious things emerge. But we could also... In, in the realm of conversions, we move on to slightly heavier things, or you're maybe having to snip and trim various assortments of weapons and limbs and parts off of all sorts of kits that maybe don't fit together too well, and you're trying to smash them together and make them work in the end, maybe requiring a bit of green stuff here and there to sort that out. And converting would also include complete scratch builds from nothing in the first place. However, I'm going to do a separate article on that at some point, because it's kind of a different area to talk about. So for today, we're just going to limit it at heavy conversions that aren't scratch That's the thing. Conversions is such a wide topic. There's so much to talk about in it. You, we can't talk about it 
or we'd be here for days. So we'll talk about why we like it, what's going on with it, but we've got to leave some bits out. And mm. Scratch Building is that's, that deserves its own topic. It's it's a tour de force. If you're a, if you're a Scratch builder, I'm very impressed. Yeah, yeah. It's a Scratch built project is going to obviously take a lot of time, a lot of effort. It's kind of a different thing. So we'll save that for another day. Sounds perfect. Well, why why are we talking about converting today? Ben, what what have you seen that's got you going on the converting train? So there's there's a few things to start with. I think conversions. Well, conversions have always been a big part of the hobby, but we've we've been seeing a few things recently that are really bringing it to light a little bit. To start with, there's the Sigvold converted into a vampire that we saw on the website. I can't believe they did my boy like that. I can't believe my man Sigvold. <laughs> I mean, brilliant conversion, fantastic conversion. It was an awesome Vampire Lord in that article they showed off. And I know that me and a lot of the people I know and speak to have been doing some awesome conversions. And Nick that we spoke to on the show spoke about a few of his Admech mm. conversions. So one of the reasons I think that the converting is so big in the spotlight now is that we recently, on the Warhammer Community website, had an article that is showing off some of Mikael van Leeuwen's Adeptus Mechanicus from the Netherlands. And he's done such a phenomenal job of replicating some of John Blanche's iconic illustrations, as it says here, uh, which is very true. These illustrations and some of his artwork really did help to define who the Edmek are and how they've grown. So making these models so accurately to depict this artwork is such a big deal. And it's really interesting and amazing to see. I don't know what you think about it. It's stunning. It's incredible seeing these Admech that managed to, at the same time, look so like the modern Admech sculpts that you'd expect, like what you've seen in all the sculpts that are just sold. And yet, at the same time, they are just more disturbing. They are a bit more in the step of creepy. And then you look at the art that inspired them, and you go, yep, no, that makes sense. I understand this, because that's terrifying, and so are the Admech. It's shockingly accurate to what the initial art was. It's really impressive to have taken those these 2D pieces that we've seen and just convert them almost totally accurately, totally down to you know the same size screw bit into 3d model form it's brilliant it really is quite impressive there's just so much going on in each of these models that he's taken perfectly out of this artwork and it really does bring to light like you said the, the almost terrifying element of it the admech really aren't that human <laughs> they've, they've lost their humanity they've replaced it with these this completely different insane mechanical culture and it's horrifying and that's what he's really brought to light really well from that artwork here. You can tell. You can tell that every single one of these models is a labor of love to the Admech, to modeling in general, to converting. The amount of time, effort, and care that has gone into each one of these individual models. Because for reference, there are seven of them. And I say seven because some of them are large. They're big, so there are <laughs> technically seven models. They're phenomenal, aren't they? Yeah, every single one of them is artwork. Very much deserving of this article. More, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I have to ask the question though. We have to get comparative. We have to get competitive. Which one's your favourite? I think I love the giant skull on skittering spider legs. That's probably my favourite. It's horrifying, it's terrifying, it's amazing, it's completely different, and yet so admech all at once. It's brilliant. It is literally like you took a servo skull, you blew it up 
too much too big and then it just started crawling towards you with with intent i don't know what that intent is i don't want to find out what that intent is but i know that it is bad i'm staying well away from that skull thing (laughs) but at the same time does it not give you toy story vibes just a hint it does that terrifying baby doll head on the skittering spider legs from toy story it's it's like you took that from a children's film and just went what if we made this genuinely terrifying Mm -hmm. (laughs) what if we just ranked up the the horror the mechanical elements of this it just just wanted to give kids nightmares if this was in toy story i can guarantee that kids would have cried I think the most of what's in 40k could make kids cry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the greatest benefit of it. 40k makes kids cry. They should put that on the box. I, mean, I, don't know. I think their PR's already bad enough, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you're not wrong. You're so not yeah. wrong. Well, what's, what's your favourite? I... I've got... My favourite is a simple one. It's the two little... Admech boys, just the almost standard lads sort of huddled together, rangers, tech priests. They're your hooded robo-faced men. Mm -hmm. And they are just huddled together looking at some form of text, some form of scroll, just hiding away. And I think, for me, they they look spooky, they look abhuman, but they also kind of just look like they're looking at a like a, a menu for a restaurant they've been to for the first time. And, you know, it's a little bit confusing. They don't know what they want. I like it. I love it. it is, it's a lovely combination of, of all the spooky horror, 40K, Skatari vibes and everything we've spoken about. But at the same time, these guys, have, they're still like a, a, just a strand of their humanity that they're clinging on to. That's like, hmm. What should we get off the wine menu? <laughs> you know, they, they look cute and curious and a little bit nervous. Yeah. As well as being terrifying metallic monstrosities. I don't know how that's conveyed so well here, but it is. And when you look at it compared to the artwork right next to it, I get that vibe from both of them. It really looks like the one that's turned and looking away. It's like, why didn't we just ask for directions? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Sharon. Sharon's looking at the map like, I've got it sorted, Dave. We're going to find our way. And it just, I think it looks, uh, I really like we it. We do it's not the need most... directions. <laughs> Protocol state, it's... we head north. <laughs> the GPS um, servo school, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is amazing. It's, uh, I'm very glad we've, we've brought it to light and spoken about it a bit. I do like them. I, don't, I think they're the, they're one of the tamest of the of the models that are on this that are on this article. Mm-hmm. Let's not spoil everything. Let's leave a few of them for people to go and look at the article and discover. And and so, we if you've not seen this, this is a speck of gold, mm-hmm. and you should check it out. Absolutely, look at this. Our descriptions do not do anywhere near justice for what is shown on this article, and Mikhail is is an incredibly talented individual to have made all of these and deserves all the love we can send his way. Absolutely. So while we're still talking about converting, what conversions have you been working on lately? And what got you into converting? Seeing as you've not been in the hobby that long, what's made you want to move on to kit bashes and conversions and things? I got into converting, I feel like, relatively early in, in hobby life. Because, well, really... 
I didn't want to fall into a trap where my army looked similar to someone else I was facing. I didn't want my army to be the same but a different coat of paint. And so I was looking through the models that GW was selling, obviously exclusively those that are Slanesh themed at first. And I was thinking, these aren't totally accurate of the Slanesh army I want to be fielding. These are, although incredible models, once I've got 90 demonettes, they're 90 of the same 10 models. And that's not good enough for the Prince of Excess. That's not good enough for She Who Thirsts. It's just not right. We need some variety going down here. And so I did what any sane person would do. And I just bought a load of Daughters of Cain. Just significantly too much. <laughs> That's what any sane person would do, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Really, it started with the Canari heart renders or the flying Daughters of Cain models because I wanted demonettes with wings. And I said, I'm going to make demonettes with wings. So thankfully, this is when Shadow and Pain had just come out. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, what a, what a perfect perfect box for me. I can buy Shadow and Pain and I can just slam the two sides together and see what we get out of it. And I just cut the head off of a spare demonette. I had a spare demonette head lying around. I took off a claw from an Alores, one of the longer attack claws. I replaced one of the arms on the on the Canari on the flying Daughters of Cain unit. Took the claw on, took the demonette head on, and I was like, that's a flying demonette. There it is. Right there. That's a model no one else has. No one else is seen. I'm sure other people have converted similar. But, you know, those are the chances of the exact same pieces are so slim. There's a unique demon model, and it looks great. It looks brilliant. They do really look fantastic. It's a nice change. And after that, I fell into a hole. <laughs> the converting hole. The hobby hole. <laughs> I, I got absorbed deep into that hobby hole. And now I own three three boxes of Shadow and Pain. And, and I have thrown a lot of bits together from a lot of them. And I've started making more flying units of demonettes. I've taken the Blood Sisters, so the um, half-snake Daughters of Cain, both with their glaives, with their long, long melee weapons, and with their bows. And I've thrown demonette heads, demonette arms, bits on them to have lovely snake cavalry that I'm running as the new Bliss Barb Seekers, as well as the Slick Blade Seekers, and they're lovely. I've started putting questionably loyal bits on what I proclaim to be officially loyalist space marines. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I've started doing a lot of conversions. It's a way to do something different, and I'm very happy to talk about all of my lovely conversions. But a good reason a good reason I got into this was because of some of the stuff I'd seen you do as well, because I fell into it with Slanesh because I was like, I don't have cash right now to buy the Slick Blade Seekers. Ignore the fact that I own three uh, Shadow <laughs> and Pains, all right? Most of them... I wonder, I wonder why you didn't have the cash. <laughs> hey, all right, well, exactly. So I had to make do with what I had. It's such a fun hole to fall into, and once you do, once you take that step, it's really hard to go back because I for ages was seeing these things that other people were making online as well as stuff that you were making 
Now I was thinking, that looks absolutely terrifying. That's a big, scary step. These models are expensive, and you want me to cut bits off and glue bits on and swap parts? Are you mental? And then you do it, and you realize, no, this is, very, this is a very achievable goal, and you can make some very cool things. And I did. I made a lot of them. And I'm going to make a lot I more. I can't wait until we can get you on a battle report and show off your Slaneshi Force. I'm happy to. I'm happy to. One of the most updated notes on my phone is simply titled Kitbash Ideas. Ooh, yeah. Whenever I'm wandering around, if I see something new and exciting that I think I could turn that into a Slanesh creature, I could do something with that. It goes on the Kitbash Ideas note. And I get my way round to it. Am I too old school? I've got post-it notes all over my desk. All over my hobby desk, there's post-it notes just stuck everywhere. Some of them are paint schemes, some of them are shopping lists, some of them are whatever. And a lot of them are just hobby idea. Kit bash this and this. Slap. <laughs> I, I would lose those sticky notes so quickly. And I, I don't dare lose the ideas. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. It is, it is quite archaic that I'm still using post-its but <laughs> you are a man of the times and those times were 1978 <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep but i but i went i went down a hole there to talk about stuff i'm kit bashing without say, really saying too much i think you said, said a lot about why it's nice to kit bash and the kind of feel and uniqueness you can get from it that was the main appeal to me of kit bashing i'm a slanesh player i want my stuff to look pretty i want you to look at it and go wow and then i want it to claw your face off I think the thing that one of the things that really drives me to Kitbash and a lot of other people is that with the Warhammer lore, there's maybe aspects of it that you see and you want. So, yes. For example, I previously saw, hey, there's all these different speed freaks in in the Warhammer lore. When for orcs, and when you look at an orc speed freak mob or cult in in a book, every single time that orcs want to go fast they design their own truck they put their own bits on it they put their own conversions on it they're like they're very much like a real life car enthusiast that's exactly what they are really they're just these maniacs that want to go fast and when Absolutely. you look at a kit there's there's a truck kit one truck kit and a battle wagon kit one battle wagon kit and now admittedly in the last few years we did get a few really nice buggy kit but there's still only four or five different ones and in your Rogue Warband, every single one should be unique. If there's three of these scrap jets, they should all be different. They should all be like separately scrapped out of crazy things, in my mind. That's what you imagine. Yeah, to perfectly reflect the Orc lore and how an Orc Warband would be, this is what we should have and see, and everything should be different and crazy and ridiculous and unique. So that, that getting the lore exactly how it is in the books and things is a big part of why I like converting. And I know we've said it's about making it unique, but in some cases, it's not just about making it unique, it's about making it match the law better. So maybe it's, yeah. it's the opposite of unique. Maybe it's making them all consistent and the same, but matching the law. So, for example, I hope in the future we're soon going to get Tyrone Bartley and his Alpha Legion on the show, and hopefully this will be once we have a visual element so we can have a video or something. Maybe it'll be in YouTube or another platform and we'll show you his army. Absolutely. And the thing that I love about his army is he's gone through the effort and time of using loads of different parts, loads of different kits. He's scaled up loads of things 
and it looks really Alpha Legion. You can take one click glance at it and go, bam, that's Alpha Legion. And that's something that really I never see for Alpha Legion specifically. It's just that whenever I look at other things, I look at the model and go, oh, well, that's a, that's a custom Space Marine chapter. Or that's just like a green and blue Space Marine chapter. Oh, wait, no, they're Alpha Legion because I see a logo. But without even seeing a shoulder pad or anything, it's like immediately in your face, Alpha Legion, every bit. And that's exactly what I think people are doing when they convert Kitbash a lot of the time or convert, which is like we've just said with the Admech conversion showing off there. It's to bring something from the lore out more. It's bringing that grim, dark, horrific loss of humanity element into Admech more. It is. It is. And I think that's really good. It's really good to have that option and to see it. That's the main benefit of Warhammer and 40k and AOS and all and any other system that you're playing is the law more often than not. I mean, if you didn't care about the law of Warhammer 40k, then you know why aren't you playing a historical war game to some extent? Like, why the law is what makes it, and being able to represent that, being able to see the bits you like. Because it's what drives you to get a model. Mm-hmm. I wanted a Sigvold model before the new model came out because I was playing Total War Warhammer 2, playing a Sigvold. Yeah. I was like, this guy, this, I like this guy. I, I, I'm like, I wish I could play this guy on the tabletop. I got very lucky that then the Sigvold model came out. But you can guarantee on my notes app, Sigvold conversions were written there before he existed. They're down on it. Because I thought I want him, I want I want him, and I want that on the tabletop. And doing that would have been incredible. Thankfully, there's nothing really specific character-wise or legion-wise I've had to bring in yet. I've just gone. Demons are different, so my demons can be different. I don't want my demons the same, because in law they're not. In law, they they are a tangled mess of Slanesh demons. It is all chasing whatever perfection they want to be. And I am chasing their perfection by making them how I want to make them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that really gives you a benefit as you get further into the hobby is by going, I want to make this mine and I want to make it what I envision. I want it to be Alpha Legion. I, I don't want it to be generic, generic Space Marine with bits I've put on. I want it to be Alpha Legion. I don't want this to be you know, shiny admech. I want this to be horror admech. I want children to cry when they see it admech. <laughs> and, and being able to do that, it's oh, it's really nice. And there's, there's a level of satisfaction that I, everyone in the hobby, I'm sure you know, once you paint your model and you do it, you feel good when it's finished. Oh, yeah. That satisfaction, when it's converted, for me at least, is doubled, tripled. It is really a lot higher. Boom. Look at that. Incredible. I love it. Give me another one. I will make more of these. Mm-hmm. And, and you do, and that is really nice. Not to mention just the whole army on the field at once can look incredible when you've got a whole army like that. Like, I'm sure I'm sure ties, when you get tie on, people will see that and they'll realize what we mean if they don't already. Because that army is a perfect example it of is a great beautiful yeah. yeah. And I think that when we talk about this, I think it's not necessarily a great place to start on something so big scale. A lot of the time, a great place to start with converting is, like we said, just a quick swap of parts. Something that's like, oh, that's cool. I want to use that head instead. Whoop, you've done it. And then next time, I want to use this part, but it doesn't really fit on that well. 
So you have to sort of scrape bits off limbs, try and make a fat surface or whatever and connect them together well. And then the time after that, maybe it's like, oh, well, I'll try the same, but I'll put a little bit of green stuff over it to fill this hole. And then the time after, it's, it's oh, well, it's not quite a hole, it's a sleeve. So I'll try and put a fold in the green stuff, a simple thing, but it's, it's not quite sculpting or anything, but it just makes it blend together nicely. And then you slowly build it up more and more until you're able to reach the point where you have an idea like that. And you're like, right, I also now have the skills to make it a thing and make it happen. And each and every conversion from the small to the massive, it helps you build your skills and it's really cool on the tabletop and they're going to be some of your favorite things to do. It's the same as when you're first starting out and you're learning to paint and your first few models uh, might just be a base coat. That might be it. You might not even wash it. You might not even highlight it, but then you start, then a couple on, you put a wash on, then you highlight it, then you go even more with highlighting. You do some blending. It's the same with converting. It's not that scary if you just start with I would rather put this head on this character. I would rather this guy have this other arm. I would I would rather just give them a slightly different bit that just fits. You can do it and go for it. Once you do that, you've taken your first step. Mm-hmm. And then who knows, 10 years down the line, you're just sat there with a blob of clay in front of you and you just sculpt from scratch. <laughs> who knows? Um <laughs> I am nowhere near that stage, and I don't think I'll ever be getting anywhere near it. I get frustrated enough just trying to make sure my arms are aligned on on my snakes. Not but me, it's... but I have reached the point where I'm scratch building my, or I have now scratch built my first orc vehicle contraption. And a lot of the bits yeah. do come from GW kits, because I wanted to keep the orc feel there and use some real orc parts that people can see and relate to. But at the same time, most of it is scratch built. It's insanely rewarding and feels really good to look at it and think that's such a good model. Every t- every time someone looks at it, they say, "Oh, that's actually really good. It's amazing." Yeah, <laughs> and it's really fun. Must be so nice. Mm. Must be so positive to see that with the models you do. And I'll let you on a secret, boys and girls. I'll let you all know an official Slaneshi cuddles. Fuck. <laughs> all right. One more time. <laughs> I'm going to get a Google edit- editing this, or I just don't edit You're going to make... <laughs> that, that would be funny, actually. It would be very funny. I'll kill you. Um, I've not even said the full name. People just get Cuddles to what? What does this mean? What is this Slaneshi code? <laughs> True court is out there. You'll know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let me let you in on a secret, everyone. Let me let you in on an official... Friendly local Slaneshi cultist secret. If you can't paint very well, if you do a conversion, people think your model looks better anyway because it looks different. People will go, wow, that's incredible. And I go, I've not put a single highlight on it. I've not done it, but people love it. So if you just want to pretend like you're better than you are, do some swaps. People love it. It's great. It makes you feel good. And I bet you, if you start experimenting with things, one thing that's really good and gives you an ego boost is when other people, if you share it, like we keep saying, share your things with the community constantly. If you share it, then soon enough, if it's, if it's a good conversion idea, other people might do it too. And then you become a trendsetter. <laughs> oh, oh. Like when we were speaking to Nick in a previous episode, he said... Oh, I took the sides off my, my vehicle and did this with it. And then, oh, someone else did it. And someone else did it. 
and it pops up here and there. And then it's like, bam, yeah. I brought this to light. <laughs> I brought this method of making this crazy vehicle to the community, and now people love it and do it. And it's a really good feeling. I can imagine. I can imagine that's a really nice feeling. And it just helps community-wise. You know, I mean, I know you talked about this on, on episode three, but getting involved with, with communities, getting involved in this hobby, doing creative little bits like basic conversions is a real good way because it excites people. People are always happy to talk about it. If you upload a picture just of, hey, here's some arm swaps, here's some stuff I did, people are going to be excited about that. People are gonna. People are gonna think you're you're very creative and very talented. Absolutely. It's 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 a simple trick to make people think you're cooler than you are, and I use it often. Um, <laughs> you are cooler than you think you are. <laughs> well, I'm very cool. I think I'm very cool. So if I'm cooler than that, then I mean, you know, that's maybe what, maybe not you cool. as a Slanesh goldist. Maybe Slanesh fans have got it about <laughs> right. You are as cool as you think you are. But everyone else <laughs> with our low self-esteem, <laughs> have have faith in yourself, guys. Because your stuff is very cool. Yeah, I do. I think that's something we have to say about converting. Is like it looks scary. It does. If you're new to it, it looks very intimidating. And um, getting over that initial level of fear, do it if you can. It's, it's ends up being so worthwhile. You end up with spare bits. You like no matter what you're building and painting in this, you're going to end up with spare bits. Absolutely. Eventually, you might get enough spare bits to put a little something together. Or even if it's just adding to terrain, maybe you've got some terrain you want to spice it up. Put a spare arm nearby it. Has there been a terrifying battle? Has someone lost an arm? Well, I don't know. Now they have. There's an arm on the floor, so it looks like somebody's had a bad time. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's really worthwhile doing, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to do. It's reinvigorated my love for every army I've done now. Now I've not made, ever since I've started converting, every time I've gone into doing even something like my Space Marine Force, my little Space Marine Force, I have to stick bits on them. They've got to be different now because I've fallen in love with the converting part of the hobby. I think that something also worth mentioning is once you're gaming or once you put these models down on the table, I've also found that there are one or two things you might want to consider, but no, almost no matter what you do, especially if it's in a normal like a gaming environment where you're just playing for fun, if it's at a beer and Warhammer type deal or just a gaming club type deal or a game day type deal instead of something that's super competitive, then everything goes. No one's ever going to have a problem with your converted model. It's only ever a positive thing. So if you're held back because you think people are, oh, maybe people won't have, won't be okay with me using this and saying it's this. Well, if, if you put time and effort into it, it's amazing. Then I've not come across anyone who's ever said, oh no, don't use your your thing you spent hours and hours on. It looks awesome and makes our game better. <laughs> it's only ever a positive. You're right. I think that was a big concern I had. I don't know. I spoke to you about it a lot before. Uh, I spoke to you. I spoke to a lot of people I knew about it before I started converting. But I, I'd want to play with this in the future. Is someone going to yell at me? Am I, am I going to get in trouble? Demonets don't have wings. These ones do, all right? Don't worry about it. So far, thankfully, anyone and everyone I've told, hey, I've, I've done this. People want to see it. People think it's cool. They just want to play with it. Obviously, we must say with the caveat, don't model, don't convert with the intention of advantage. That's the one exception. And like base size, sometimes you can possibly 
get an advantage out of it. And if so, obviously don't deliberately change your models to model with advantage. But if it, if you're wanting to model something and it does accidentally give you an advantage, then you know that. So you can say to your opponent, I am aware that maybe this model being on a slightly smaller base gives me this advantage or a slightly bigger base. Or So if possible, keep the same base size is an obvious one. But even if it's, you know, like a different silhouette or a different size or something, then say to your opponent, well, I, I acknowledge that. But quite simply, if that comes down to being a case of, well, would it have made the difference? Then we'll just say, you know, put it in the sort of the opponent's favor or the favor or the way it should have gone if your model wasn't like that, for instance. And it's just an easy way to resolve it, and no one's going to have a problem with it if you address that. It's only if you're like you're trying to cheat with it, which obviously you you won't. <laughs> if you're trying to cheat with that, you're trying to cheat with other stuff. You're trying to cheat, and you're going to have your own yeah. problems anyway, because you're a rude, bad person. Don't cheat. Um, and that's coming from a cultist. Don't cheat. Cheating's not perfection. Slanesh doesn't like it. It's it's not. No, perfection is 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 winning. Perfectly, but with flair. Perfection is winning so well and so perfectly that people think you might be cheating, but you're in fact not. You're just amazing. <laughs> That's. The, I have many blessings from Slanesh. I'm still waiting on that one. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll let you know when it arrives. Uh, a lot of that comes down to, to conversation. It's about knowing where you're playing, who you're playing with, and just talking to that person talking to your opponent going hey i've got a demon prince that's i've made taller it's taller than it should be is that a problem you know is that all right how do you want to play that have that conversation my vice leader is on a slightly slightly larger base i know that has effects on aura abilities are you okay with that you know what can you do have that conversation with people and just know probably if you're going to a super competitive environment if you're going to official tournaments then you've got to know that those restrictions on you will be harsher because that's the environment you're operating in. The same way that converting with non-Games Workshop bits or parts, know who you're playing against, know where you're playing, and have that conversation. I think more often than not, it won't be a problem. More often than not, you'll absolutely be fine. People will love it. People will get excited about it. People will encourage it. And I think it's worth doing because of that. I think that point you've made we're using non-GW parts I think we'll do a separate discussion maybe on this because it's quite a large topic but I think a large part of that used to be when GW were a small company part of it was sort of or a struggling company at times but part of it was supporting the company because they you know they're providing a game for us that we enjoy we should support them in that <laughs> but now it's taken off so massively and it's doing so fantastically successful as, as a business that I think there's less of a point there's less need to support the company when it's a world leader in terms of sales <laughs> when it's defining its market and it's doing phenomenally well. People are going to be less bothered that you've not supported the company who doesn't need your help at all. So... Every company needs loyal supporters, needs loyal consumers. And, I, you know, I don't want to take away from GW, you know, do what you can to keep it GW if you're going to be playing in those areas is my personal stance. But ultimately, little bits different shoulder pads different bits i agree you know it's not the end of the world you've still bought the core model from them you're still paying a lot for it uh so you know yeah, of course support gw like... in in ways that you can if you're going to be playing their game ultimately if you want the game to survive and be supported support them but there are limitations to what they can do because they can't give everybody absolutely everything that they want if you want to do a tremendously niche guard regiment. I don't know them. 
I don't know what they are. I'm not. I don't play Imperium. I'm not a loyalist. But if you want to, you're right. GW may not make the kits for you. They've only just updated Cadians. Like I mean, you you might have to get other bits <laughs> to make them. Yeah. But, you know, you're getting your core core kit from them. You're doing your part. I don't see a problem with it. I understand, obviously, that GW don't want you using competing <laughs> companies on their IP in their stores. So I get it. And obviously, people will. For the most part, I agree on that one. If you're in fighting, like in playing games in a GW store in a GW run tournament, it matters. But apart from that, I've never met anyone who cares if I'm running a custom. No, play with fun people, do fun things, play with custom toys. Uh, that's yeah. the way it is. This hobby is so wide and so varied that you can do so much. Well, most of the time, when I'm referencing all of these, like, be careful with these bits. It's for the most competitive. It's for the most by the rules strict scenarios. If you're not trying to go to like a national tournament, then, then don't. Then matter. don't worry about it. Some of my flying demonettes, I'm not based anymore. I've turned them into terrain. Like I've made them accessories. <laughs> you know that that's definitely against the rules. Those units just they don't belong because they're not units. I've attached them to pillars. If I tried to play play them that way, I can understand people being upset. Do that. Do those bits of fun. I'm the first person to say, kit bash, slam bits together, have a good time. Because for me, that's the epitome of what this hobby should be. And converting is a perfect example of the way this hobby can be that. And I'll stick up maybe some photos of our kit bashes. Yeah. Maybe. I'll put, we'll put some of our kit bashes in the Discord and I'll put some on our Instagram, maybe. Every social media, Instagram, you know, get in the Discord, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Grogarsman up everywhere, Facebook, Facebook. MSN, maybe that's still about. <laughs> do we have, have a Bebo? <laughs> I don't know. What do we have? <laughs> just yell it out your window. Just, just yell. Look at my conversion passes by. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this! <laughs> I don't. I don't actually think we have a Twitter. You either don't. For that, for that how point. do you not have a Twitter? Where's at Ben? All right. You know what? Ignore it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Listeners, just go on Twitter. Just <laughs> at Ben. Whoever has the at Ben on Twitter, give it to them. Send it to them. Let them see it. Just, just. At Ben, check at out this. Ben, look at my conversion. I'm... We don't no, need a just or single word, Ben. B-E-N. There's got to be one. Whoever at Ben is, I'm sorry if people actually do that to you. Um, <laughs> if you I'm sure you don't know about Warhammer, but if you do, love it. Well, maybe he's a Warhammer fan and we'll love it. <laughs> he said all these cool conversions. I, I choose to believe that's the case. We can. I can imagine that from at Ben. On that, Let's move from one thing with no internet presence, you, onto another. Onto another. Let's address address something else with a shockingly lacking internet presence. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. This has to be said. We've got to talk about Cursed City and all the goings on behind that. I've been saving this article for a little bit. And I know that a lot of people have been speaking about this in previous weeks on social media for a couple of reasons. I wanted to give it time to settle and make sure that it's finished. And then and they didn't do anything like bring it back or release a statement or anything. And I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen at all now. It's done. Warhammer Fest came and went. If they were going to say anything about it, I feel like that was the perfect opportunity to bring it back in a bang and do what you can. But Yeah, I didn't want to be really scathing or say anything super controversial. And then the next day, in the mystery day, they're like, Cursity's back. <laughs> so, but we... Cursity 2, Electric Boogaloo. This brings us on to our next section 
with the mucking about, or today, trucking about, <laughs> because we're going to talk hey. about Games Workshop's logistics a bit. And Curse City ties into it. The, the majority of the discussion won't be about Curse City. We'll briefly mention things, but for the most part, I wanted to talk about Games Workshop's logistics and how they run their transport of goods and all of that kind of thing. And on the subject of Curse City, I think that not just Curse City, but also a lot of other things. If you scroll through the GW website, everything's sold out. The orcs start collecting even the day they said in an article, go and get start collecting, it was gone. There's the, half the range of all the ranges is just not available right now. And it's, it's generally a problem. And I think that's something that I wanted to address a little bit and talk about. So that's what we're going to do here and now. And it's something that we've looked into a little bit. And we've, we've looked into different articles online. And obviously, I know to an extent from being in the hobby so long how GW functions as a company. That's something I think it's worth people knowing and it's worth us sharing about. I think so. Everyone involved in this hobby and everyone that's involved in it is going to be looking at GW Web Store, is going to be looking at their local game store, and they're going to see so much of stuff missing or getting there late or taking a while. And the question really has to be, why? You know, GW's big, they're operating on a large scale, but they're not the biggest company on the planet they these issues are a little bit too much and a little bit too often and i think knowing why they happen or looking into bits of what what gw is doing can help to sort of a little bit stave off the hate for it people hit city very hard and got very upset and a lot of theories and a lot of stuff came out about it and i think doing a little bit of your own research into why that is can help you either be rightfully annoyed about it or to just take a step back and go, yeah, I guess there are things GW are trying to do that didn't work and we'll not move on. Or if you don't want to do your own research, just listen to this. We're about to tell you. Then, then you don't have to. <laughs> or listen to all the research we did. Welcome to the logistics portion of the podcast. This is, this is going to get a not very technical, but a, a little bit. This is this is this is a behind the scenes of GW that um, that we've researched over here, because uh, that's the kind of stuff we do for fun. I'm all about excess, and today's excess is an excess of efficiency, the excess of shipping efficiency. All right, we're going to cut down every second so no second is wasted. So, in our unbridled rage at Curse City and other things disappearing and, and issues with shipping. I wanted to investigate this, and so I looked, did a little bit of digging about what GW does behind the scenes to get our stuff to us on time and to see how they ship stuff. And one of the first things that came to came to mind, came to discovery, is raw the amount of factories GW has, owns, and operates. If you had to guess what, how many factories GW ran and owned, what do you think the number would be? I mean, I'm probably not the person to ask on this one, unfortunately, because I know. <laughs> I lived around the corner for a while, and I've been in the hobby for so long. I basically know for a fact that for as long as I've been in the hobby, they had like the one factory. But anyone who got into the hobby at this stage knows that they operate globally. They ship out tons of stuff. It's constant. It's a huge huge operation so if i was coming into the hobby i would have guessed five factories something like that <laughs> i mean it shocks it shocks me such a such an international business operating with one factory in the center of nottingham and that's it so for the for those of you that may not know gw currently has one factory producing mm. models producing the plastic and they have two distribution centers 
one is in the United States and the other is in Australia. Now, those two distribution centers are merely distribution centers. They are not manufacturing. They are storage and sent out. And on the storage topic, they are somewhat lacking in warehouses yes. as well. We'll get on to that. <laughs> storage, is, storage is a big issue for GW. If you have ever, ever bought a GW model, which if you're listening to this and you haven't, buy one. I don't know, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there'll really be anyone listening to this who hasn't. But... Shocking. Why are you here? But anyway, that was made in Nottingham. That's where it's from. No questions asked. It's here. That's it. Wherever you are in the world, it's come from here, it's gone to you. So whenever anything big in the world happens, for example, Brexit, for example, a canal blockage, you've only got one location things can come from. So if that's blocked, you're in trouble. Obviously, the distribution centers will stock up. They will have them, but they must be restocked. Once that stock's gone, it's gone. And that in of itself is interesting to me because it, it just shows that everything is coming out here well it's such a small scale compared to what you'd expect from a company operating on that level you really would have thought and i should say as we talk about it a lot of this information almost all this information we're sharing from sharing with you comes from games workshops own publications it comes from their annual general meetings with shareholders and their half year meetings with shareholders which are all published and accessible online for free whether you're a shareholder or not you can go and read that content if you want to see this stuff you can go and read it yeah that's where all, that's where most of this information is coming from as well as a little bit more sleuthing uh, from yours truly and my collection of slaneshi spies spread across the world <laughs> I've got a load of Gretchen just hiding in the sewers across the nation, spying on all the all the different trucks. Every truck that drives anything anywhere, there's a little grot who just checks what's inside. Chucky, you know when you order something from Games Workshop and they say, you know, we've got the we've got the shipping trolls on it. There, that's us. That's that's the broadcasting <laughs> spies, the official troll. Yeah, yeah, we just go around like looking at all their stuff. We're never and we're never a help if anything oh, no. we're a hindrance. Oh, absolutely. So we should be. <laughs> But yeah, so that's where the information is coming from. So uh, you can you can check it out, read it yourself if you want. But it's a lot of what we're saying here. So yeah, what came out as interesting to me is obviously being somewhat new to the hobby. This is just sort of a an accepted thing that I had because I was thought yeah, GW has never been better than this. GW has always been trash at getting stuff out. There were some changes recently, which has obviously caused this. Well, that's big kerfuffle. That's what we're going to talk about because. One thing that I noticed from reading all of this is it looks like GW is taking steps towards sorting this out. That is clearly a known issue for them. So much so that shipping and manufacturing are listed in their top five priorities. Their logistics division is one of their top five priorities right now, alongside their manufacturing, which is, you'd think, oh, well, of course it is. It never is. All right. It's rare for companies to be this bothered about it. They know something's going wrong which is nice to see. Yeah. And they have obviously been for a while because these annual general meetings and half half annual general meetings, oddly enough, happen every year and every six months. So when you're reading about them, um, it's not like totally recent. I think what we're seeing is was them trying to solve the problem. And in doing so, it's actually made it worse for a short period. Yes, temporarily. So if you're not aware... GW has recently bought a new manufacturing and distribution center still in Nottingham, not far out. They've bought a 170,000 square foot warehouse 
which is quite a step up. It's quite a bit. That's, that's big. It's almost doubling it for them. That's massive, yeah. Which is interesting, and it goes to show that they are taking steps to solving these problems. When you read through this data that's available, when you read through this information, Games Workshop referenced this factory. They reference it now being basically up and running. It's almost now finished. There are problems with some of their software from the sounds of things. They are creating new just tracking software, and they are implementing new warehouse software. I won't go into it. I'll refer to it as warehouse software for simplicity's purpose. Yeah. Because I'm sure listening to this, this isn't the uh, this isn't the logistics podcast. This isn't the Slaneshi logistics podcast. You're not that bothered about details, probably as a listener. No. So, but what you so what you do need to know is that there are steps in place. It looks like for this to be better. And when you you can see that, I think there have been COVID slowdown with some of the issues. It looks like the official warehouse being open and being ready to go up was slowed down by obviously having to have less people working on the physical construction of the site because it's a total new build as well as having people obviously just arrange the legality behind purchasing, behind agreements with suppliers, with couriers, and get all this out. So what, what we know for sure, the facts as they stand, GW has bought a new warehouse. GW is also converting their old manufacturing and warehouse to be basically a separate manufacturing plant. So that is changing. A lot of the equipment there is changing. So obviously that slows down production. While you're swapping equipment, changing equipment, you can't produce models. And while you've only got one place producing models, you take a day out of producing models, no one can cover that. That's it. That's out. If you have to sacrifice certain machines, maybe ones that are printing vampires for Cursed City, <laughs> you, you have to. You, you don't have a replacement. If that's broken, that's broken. If the molds are gone, the molds are gone. You've only got one location for it. And this second location is now supposedly up and running. I think it was a case of the second location was meant to take over from the first one to an extent. And the first one was stopped and the second one wasn't ready to take up the mantle in time. And this is where we've seen a lot of issues. Is as the first one was being converted on time, the second one was not at the stage it needed to be. The new warehouse was not ready and up and running. And it's it's interesting that obviously that has still gone ahead. And I think this is where we're seeing the stress for it. I'm not certain, obviously, if it was a case of like you know the the machines that are printing the models are sort of turned off at one or the other, or if it's a case of where the models are being stored, or if there's no storage space for a certain period, so they can't have any models around nowhere to put them or so whatever the issue is though i think we we've definitely found something that is a problem here and it's probably the issue but as to presume that we can say this is the issue and and that's the issue exclusively i think is naive and i know a lot of people love to go it's brexit it's taxes it's 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 europe it's boris it's we, we, you don't know Oh, no, no, no. Also, Boris is the blame <laughs> for everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, to be fair, I don't want to say that's not true. <laughs> but nevertheless, I think, I think it would be presumptuous of us to say this is absolutely the problem. But I think it is relevant to see that, obviously, these new warehousing issues are happening. Yeah, even if, even if this isn't the reason for Cursed City. It's a factor. I think this would explain some of the horrific stocking issues. Yeah, it's definitely a factor for what we're seeing the whole hopefully or my understanding from reading it is that gw is in a transition period right now which is completely reasonable with the level of growth they've seen over the last year 
I mean, when you're just looking at their stats, their raw revenue nearly doubled this year. You know, the amount that they're selling is has grown oh, yeah. significantly. The demand has increased so much that suddenly they've got to put out so much more and they've tried to do that, but in for a brief period, it's actually meant they're not producing like anything or a lot less and we're seeing it. And, and that's the problem. If you've been in the hobby for years, then suddenly this is a big change for you and you're like, GW is now being crap and you know they're not working and whatever. And it's like, if you whereas if you're new to the hobby, like I was, you go... I guess this is just how the boat sails. I guess this is just this is just what it what it does. It, it you know the boat's got a bit of a leak in it, and we occasionally got to book it out, and it's slow to get anywhere, but it gets done. But I think reading into this, it just goes to show that GW is doing what they can to get stuff back on track. I just think they've bitten off more than they can chew, because from what I've read, GW are trying to in-house a lot of their distribution. They're trying to bring it under their control. Yeah, I was about to say, that's something we have to briefly mention as well. It's 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 important to be aware that so both both Ben and I have at times lived within minutes of the Games Workshop offices, within minutes of Games Workshop factory. Neither of us at any point of living there ever saw a GW branded truck. They don't exist. Mm-hmm. GW, GW has a third party that does their shipping for them. It's pretty reasonable. A lot of big companies do. A lot of big companies will have lots and lots of third party companies handling their shipping for them. Yeah, that's, that's pretty normal, right? Yeah, it is very normal. But it looks like from when you're reading it and when GW have developed and brought on software, logistics software developers on their teams, as there have been there have been a few new software developers hired for GW and there have been positions opening up in the logistics department. It looks as though they are doing what they can to make some of their own software for tracking, for distribution. But yeah. Yeah. I think they underestimated the challenge that, that would be. I think they just thought put toys on truck, truck go location and and sorted. I think we may be seeing an equivalent to where they tried to build their own like app for their own list builder and things. That was a horrific failure. They had to, they did it with their own in-house team with no experience of how to build an app of, of what we want with the rules and this building and everything. So it flopped horribly. And it's apparently it's improving. Who knows? I I think that's perfect. I think that really is a perfect example of it. And they've done the same thing almost exactly with how do we ship our products? What's what yes. what software do we have? for our logistics do we make it uh, ourselves well we'll try <laughs> yeah and the core of it i mean the core of it's a good idea to see an improvement is at least going to get better than it is now as they figure out what they're doing and as they make more steps towards it but i think give give gw a minute they've tried something it's not working they're getting their act together they're putting their grind in and you'll see once this new factory is up and running that this is GW 2.0. They've got a bigger size. They've they've only had one factory. They've only had one factory. I can't believe it. It's shocking to me. Yeah. So what we're what we're looking at in the long run is is definitely a case of one factory GW struggling. And now for a brief period we might have had a zero factory GW that sucks obviously <laughs> <laughs> and didn't exist. Probably half a factory. Probably half a factory GW. But so hopefully in the long run it'll just be two factory GW. From what we're reading, yes, this is all up and running. The new new factory looks lovely, looks very pretty, and it looks to, it's very well positioned. When you see where it is in Nottingham, it's, a, it's it's very much in a distribution hub. It's a much better location for the factory than where the current one is. You've got access to a lot of other 
providers, a lot of other shipping companies nearby, a lot of other couriers, and maybe they're working with GW. I don't know. That was the only information that was well hidden was who GW is currently using for courier services. That information I struggled to find. Yeah, we're trying to find trying to find exact business links and things, but. Yeah, obviously they're a company, so they don't want to reveal everything. Nor would I reveal everything I know to the public for GW's own sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My spies are very talented, so that gives us many gifts. <laughs> a long tongue and good ears are both included. <laughs> I think the logistics behind it is really interesting, and I think we're seeing the main sufferings of this transition. I think any business, when it's making a move like this, when it's making these decisions, you're going to see a period of failure you're going to see a period of problems and i think that's that's the stage we're in right now it's just frustrating it's just been a really poorly handled transition it's frustrating because by the sounds of things they just didn't have backup plans in place i think a lot of the core supply stuff i'm hoping will be solved somewhere in the near future you know i'm less than six months maybe in the next quarter i'm hoping maybe i'm being overly ambitious i hope so yeah but it is interesting, and it's obvious that I think a lot of people think these complaints and these issues that everyone's having are falling on deaf ears, because uh, not only is GW's distribution not great, but their PR is non-existent. Their PR is definitely a factor. The way they just, <laughs> the way they just say nothing, delete yeah. everything from social media, and near enough scream fuck you consumers <laughs> hey, you're not wrong you're not wrong oh. uh, we we were having this conversation today because i wanted to buy another shadow and paint that being mm. my third one when i say i've got three it's because i bought that one all right i bought it today all right leave me alone <laughs> I'm, I'm not buying a fourth i'm not that crazy and it's just not on the gw store it never went on no longer available it never went on going soon going soon no it just it went and i went oh that's not good that's a panic i'll, I'll buy it from a third party it's it's basically cursed city all over again right but obviously less severe because it's been out for a long time yes it's been, it's been out for a while now and it wasn't so hyped the, you know just before it went out so it's obviously still happening um, and that pr aspect of it is a bit of a panic because i there was no communication of that it just went and i think i think as a result a lot of people right now in the hobby are feeling mistreated misheard like gw doesn't care if you want a shadow and pain get it now from a third party yeah from your local game store yeah. grab it pick it up if you want to <laughs> buy me a shadow and pain that is also acceptable i <laughs> will accept more of them i will always accept more of them send at ben a shadow and pain <laughs> send ben on twitter <laughs> a shadow and pain at him on twitter go would you like shadow in pain no more context that's it please don't actually do that would you like shadow and pain? he's gonna be horrified that's, he's gonna think that's a yeah, threat please don't please don't actually accost at ben on twitter the poor the poor the poor person doesn't deserve it all right if, if that even is an at someone must have at ben <laughs> let's let's go back to it let's I, I think a lot of people are feeling frustrated and it, rightfully so but I want to say be hopeful. I want to say from what I'm reading, it's looking like steps are being taken in the right direction. It looks like they're getting a fleet. It looks like they're getting their own software. It looks like they're hiring good people for it. It looks like they are realizing the perhaps initial mistakes they've made and they are now racing to catch up, which is obviously frustrating that the initial mistakes were made. But as big as GW is, they're not infallible it's still almost run like a small business yeah. and, it, and it goes to show in some ways and it hurts them in other ways but there is a new warehouse it's huge 
there is new software incoming. They have trialed it with some of their distribution centers in other areas of the world. And it'll be coming here soon as well. Things should be getting better from what we've got to see. And I think we've had a myriad of bad factors of being over here in the UK and GW being based over here in the UK has had a lot to deal with the past year if not longer, with a pandemic, with Brexit, with their expansion, with their rapid growth. It's it's a lot to have yeah. at once. And I think I think people lose that sympathy because they just it's very easy to go. They should have been prepared. They should know everything. They should never make a mistake. The answer is tough. They have. It's easy to say, where's my orc kit? I want it now. It when, is. Or where's my cursed city? Where's my cursed city? Where's my shadow and paint? Why don't I know that it was disappearing? If I knew, I would have bought seven of them. You know, <laughs> definitely an easier thing to say where isn't them than it is to maybe sort out all the shipping yourself and make it there. Yes. So um, and also <laughs> finding the information is not easy. If you didn't know GW published all of its shareholder options, you wouldn't know to look there. I was in a position where thankfully I did know that. I knew I could go and read it, and it proved to be very enlightening. Yeah, yeah. I think my advice is be patient with GW. Their shipping, they are trucking along. And hopefully now you will begin to see a lot more solid, consistent shipping coming out of them. Yeah, let's hope, eh? Absolutely. Let's hope we're right about this issue and this is the cause and this is the solution. I do want to say we may not be. We're giving you the information, the raw facts of the new factory, of the new software coming in, of GW hiring logistics positions. Yeah, This is a thing. It might not be the thing. It will not. Nothing is the thing. There are plenty of things. Exactly. This yeah. is definitely a factor. And let's hope, be optimistic, that things get better. Absolutely. So that's that's the last large topic we have for today. But there are still a few things I think is worth mentioning before we move on and say goodbye. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about was that our Whispers for the Warp section will be changing slightly in how we present it to you. Rather than us reading out our new rules and chatting about them here, we will be moving this to either an online form or a... If, if we do mention it on the podcast, it'll be less often, so maybe monthly or something, because we just don't feel that a podcast is the best way in which to present you with new rules. So if you like the Whispers from the Warp rules, then no worries, they will still be available. We will bring you more and we'll put them on the website. But more likely, we'll write a little article about them we'll have them in that sort of form and it'll still be available but listening to people talk about new rules isn't the best way to get that so we're going to try and move to a better platform for delivering that news to you maybe you should try and tweet them get at ben to tweet your whispers from the warp whispers <laughs> from ben, ben. <laughs> are you an advertiser at ben <laughs> <laughs> please at ben. tweet for us on that same sort of similar line while we want to bring you loads of good battle reports, beautiful things in video form. We're also going to trial run putting some article written form battle reports out to see if it's the kind of thing you like and get some feedback on it. Is it interesting? Do you like a written battle report? Sometimes it's better because it's faster, at least. <laughs> Simply reading through that information can be a lot easier than a, than a long battle report, which some websites and some sources take a long time. So we're going to trial run that. If you go to the Grotten Garsman website, some point in the next few days, we'll hopefully have a written report up for you and things. And Absolutely. loads of good things to come, I think. If you want to be fully kept up with information, be at the forefront of it, 
we always have the Discord. The Discord is where a lot of our conversations happen. Um, that's where you'll be able to see a lot of the stuff that's also published on the website. The Discord will have parts of it. It's, it's worth checking out. Our conversions are in there. Some of some pictures of our conversions that we talked about earlier are already in the Discord. I think if you if you do or don't have a good 40k community that you're involved <laughs> with, it's always good to jump in the Discord and talk to us about 40k stuff. And you'll also be kept up on all the latest stuff there. You could also talk to me about the environment there. Logistics is available there if you if you want to talk to me about trucks. I will talk to you about trucks. I am I am very willing to talk about trucks. <laughs> we know you like your truck sim game. <laughs> so, is there a are there any other topics that you'd like to move on to and have a chat about while you're on the podcast? Excluding trucks. I'm not sure our listeners would love a simply <laughs> truck based conversation. <laughs> We've maybe come as close can get to in terms welcome of welcome to what the truck the newest logistics based podcast <laughs> yeah um what is trucking about <laughs> see we've we've already got characters for it. it's already sorted keep your eyes peeled for the new for the newest podcast mm-hmm. no i think i think i i've had a very good time talking about converting today that's mainly what my hobby that's mainly what my interaction with the the world has been the only other thing i needed information on you guys covered in your third episode getting involved with local groups and entering socializing the hobby so right now i'm happy to to leave this as is okay well fantastic i think this has been a good fun episode to record i hope you listeners enjoyed it at home and we'll speak to you in roughly a week's time (laughs) hopefully maybe i won't be here but Slanesh is always there in your heart, so I'm here in theory. Somewhere in the back of your mind, the whispers of Slanesh will prevail. And who knows? I got into this warehouse. I mean, I got into this little studio. Maybe maybe I will be there. Maybe. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe you'll sneak in. Who knows? That's all I have to say for today. So thank you very much for listening, and goodbye from me, the Grop. And goodbye from me, your local, friendly Slaneshi cultist.